0: You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. You know, COVID has, uh, this whole last year, changed a lot of things in our church. The focus hasn't changed. The, uh, the body has changed a lot. And, you know, we're always grateful for whoever God brings out. But I think a lot of people got very comfortable um, with not going to church. Um, our Wednesday night crowd that we used to have got probably very comfortable watching online, not coming in the midweeks. And so we, we watch this, and you probably look around and go, Wow, where is everybody? We do the same thing. It's not a downer. It's not, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. I, I know, I'm not a guy. I'm a girl. I'm a girl. I'm a guy. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a downer here. Um, I'm just trying to be a realist. And, and help you guys understand that we watch what's going on here. And we also want to be effective in ministry. We are not going to just keep doing things to do things. And we've always done things this way. That's what we're going to do. We want to be sensitive to the body and meet people where they are at. Do we believe that there is a need for all of us in the middle of the week to have a, a sidebar with God and, and, and come together? And I, I've grown up that way. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have a pit stop in the middle of the week where someone was feeding me, but I think we're we're a different generation, and it's a different time, and I really appreciate each time I come out here, you guys being here, but there's also um, in our heart a burden to reach more people and to see more people connect in the body, as I was sharing on Sunday morning. We believe that at the beginning of last year, we started out, and there was a real need to comfort people, and and then the fear began to grip a lot of people, and we felt that it was time to build faith, and so there was a focus on some convicting and, and redirecting, and, um, and just as we were going into that, okay, let's build our faith, then we got to a point where there were so many new people coming around here, we thought, we've got to help people get grounded, and that's a difficult thing when you don't know each other, and we don't know you, you don't know us, and in the larger percentage of the body, maybe tonight, you, this group might, but for us, we pray about these things, and we talk about these things, and we care about these things. And so, um, with that in mind, we um, just finished up, you know, the Song of Solomon, and I was sitting around with Lori and some of our leaders this week and just saying, you know, who, what marriage in our church didn't need to sit down and go through the Song of Solomon? I mean, really. And, and especially in this day and age where, where marriages have been so challenged and taxed. and You know, I don't know if it's uh, maybe a lack of discipline with people or a lack of hunger for the word. But these are real challenges that we're facing as churches today to realign ourselves up with what the Holy Spirit wants to do now. And we don't want to make it a a rule, you know, a a Calvary La Habra thing. We want it to be a spirit-led thing. And, you know, at the same time, we want to do what we we see in the book of Acts modeled, and we want to see people, you know, continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We want to see the fellowship and the, all of the praying and all of that that we're going to be discussing on Sunday morning. But again, on Wednesday nights, we, we've noticed a couple of years back, last year we weren't able to do this, but a couple of years back, we um, deviated through our through the Bible studies uh, when we finished a book right before summer, and We were sitting around talking and we thought it would be good to maybe break apart an epistle. And so we've done that with Ephesians. We've done that with 1 Corinthians. And then the way we did it was unique in that we would come together and I would teach on a Wednesday night. And then the following Wednesday night we would get around tables and discuss what was taught the previous Wednesday night. So this week, last week, we've been talking about this and we've been praying and we felt the Lord leading us to do that now because we really believe, obviously, the larger percentage of our body comes on Sundays and it's very difficult to connect people on Sundays. We can we can throw the net out and see people saved. We can disciple through teaching. We can worship together, but by and large, to get people talking on a Sunday for any length of time to where they're building relationships, that's probably not going to happen when you're doing multiple services. That's a reach. So we feel that Wednesday should be something we should really be praying about as Wednesday night people and be inviting people to participate in. And so what we're going to be doing beginning tonight is we're going to teach a series on the parables of Jesus. So tonight I'm going to talk about that. And then I don't know if next week we'll actually start teaching the parables or I got one that kind of ties into the message tonight and we'll talk about that. But the goal for you, the challenge for you would be Um, walk with us together through this. It's not just get people to church another time. It's get people around so that we can develop body life. Does that make sense? In a time and a setting that we have seen in the past where this actually happens. And so um, when we gather, we're going to commit a big part of that night to group discussion. We're going to create more time for that. Um, we're going to bring in some special worship and different things Mead's working on. We're going to have, uh, uh, God has done a lot of stuff in people's lives over the last year, and we're going to be videoing some testimonials and showing those on Wednesday nights. Uh, we're going to have food. That always gets people hanging out. And um, so that's, that's where we're going. So please pray about this. Um, take this to heart. It's heavy on our heart because we believe it's heavy on um, the heart of God. We want to... I've always said there's certain things in a church that are worth fighting for. And and cultivating um, relationships and the connectivity and the grounding in the church is worth fighting for. Would you guys agree? So this is where we are going. So you can turn your Bibles over to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at a couple of passages there. But we're going to begin. Let's look over. Let's begin at chapter 4. pick up there I was reading an older commentary just breaking away from some of my go-to authors and I found one that some guy was writing in like the mid by 1860s and I was musing over all of his references and I was thinking about the go-to newspapers were just like you know I mean, just the reference to what they read, the reference to their communication. I thought, wow, we've really come a long way. And, and one of the things that um, he was talking about is how newspapers early on learned the value of marketing. And the way that they would market, whether with, it was an advertisement or a particular um, columnist would want to grab people's attention is they would do it with illustrations. And so, way back in the day, you know, there were a lot of different illustrations. And I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, I haven't even picked up a newspaper in a long time. And so I did, I did a, you know, like a Google thing on the Orange County Register or whatever, and I realized I had to be a member or something to join the membership to get, Man, I can't even just read a newspaper online now. I got to pay some money for that. What's, remember guys, when you used to put 10 cents into a machine and, be the honest system, you're supposed to take one. You always took two. But, but I, as I was going through that, the, the, there, was, there was one column. And they were, they were trying to draw you into a political point And at the top of the column was a picture. And the second that I looked at the picture, I did a double take. I wanted to know what they were trying to say to me with that picture. And when Jesus begins to teach here in chapter 4... He is is teaching at a time, understand this, where good orators and good speakers drew crowds. It was like the word would go out if, if there was a good communicator in your town, if there was a rabbi that people were like, that guy really speaks well. Sometimes we forget that there were a lot of compliments given about Jesus' oratory abilities. His skills. He taught so unique. All of the rabbis, they would say when they teach, they would always quote each other or other famous rabbis. But Jesus had this way of not doing that. And I believe what attracted a lot of his listeners was the simplicity of the way he spoke. He spoke with authority. We know that. They complimented his authority, he spoke with clarity. He had, a, he had a recall on scripture that would have been second to none. That would have blown people's minds. We seem to be um, moved with people that are, that are moved with their content. There's the, the ethos and the pathos and, and the logos and all of that that make up um, a, good, a, a good, you know, uh, presentation, and, and, and part of the, the ethos is the character of the person. There's, it's just that would draw them. Think of the character of Christ and the reputation that would follow. That would draw a certain part of the crowd. The, the pathos was the passion. There's just something about listening to someone that's passionate. They're convinced, and they are convincing The Logos is is the word itself. They really know what they're saying. They're they're studied up. They're well-read. They they know where they're going before they even say it. You can tell it's in them. It's part of them. And you're, you're, you're drawn to what they say. You hold on to the facts of what they say. He had all of that going. He could have drew crowds just on the basic gifts that he had in his day Good speakers, good orators drew big crowds. But Jesus wasn't looking for the big crowd. If you look and you go through the Gospels at who he came to, some of the commentators would say he came to the losers. (laughs) He came to the poor. He came to the needy. He came to heal brokenhearted people. So it wasn't like, wow, I need a massive crowd. That's not the, the passion that drives the Son of God or a man of God. What what drives them is to give out what God has driven within. And that's what he did. When you go through John chapter 17, that's what he did. He was here to do and he did the will of the Father. But as he spoke, you can just tell that he was very aware of his audience. He was very... A tune, in tune with his audience. The illustrations that he would use are not over their head. They're not outside their cultural understanding. They're not insensitive. They are illustrations. The parables that are, they're they are illustrations. They're pictures. They're stories. They're, they're something out of their culture that every single one that he was talking to would go, I know what you're talking about. But he would use the picture, he would use the story, he would use the illustration to state a point, to further clarify a point, to either clarify it or drive that point home. And at the heart of all of this, as you go through his parables, and there's, there's different people say there's different, more than 50. Let's just leave it there. 50 different times as he speaks, he uses these illustrations, these pictures, these stories. And he's looking at his audience and he's using these stories to help connect dots. And the first parable, the parable that the disciples would have to understand was like, this, hey, guys, if you don't get this parable, you're not going to get any of them. He starts off with like, hey, this is the way I'm going to be talking a whole lot. And if you don't understand why I'm, why I'm talking this way and, and the points that I'm trying to make through this, man, you're not going to understand any of them. Now, in verses 1 and 2 of Mark chapter 4, it says he began again to teach. So he had taught. Again, if you remember our survey through the Gospel of Mark, Mark is, you know, if you want to just really go fast through a lot of what Jesus did, you read the Read or Digest version of the Gospels, that's the Gospel of Mark. So he had been teaching, and then, there's this specific focal point on this unique alteration in his teaching. And he says, again, he began to teach, this time by the sea, Sea of Galilee. And a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat, and he sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea, and that he taught them many things by parables... And said to them in his teaching. And then he'll go on. For you note takers. In verses 3 through 8. The first parable that he's going to give us. Is the parable of the sower and the seed. In verse 10. He is going to share the parable. He's going to then be alone with the disciples. And in verse 10. They're going to ask him. They're going to seek him out. And they're going to ask him about the parable. Then in verse 11, this is where we're going to kind of hone in on tonight. Jesus will say to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. That tells us something about the focal point of the parables. Just underline that. The kingdom of God is a big part of the theme and the focal point of the parables. To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. I have that question when I read that. Well, well, to them, what about them? Them who are coming to him and saying, we want to know more. Them who are following him. Them who he said, come follow me. And they've been following him. To them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God but to those who are outside. All things come in parables. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. We'll come back to that. In verse 13, Jesus will say to the disciples, do you not understand this parable? And here's the scripture supporting what I was saying earlier. How then will you understand all the parables? We move forward. 14 through20, Jesus will explain the parable, the meaning of the parable to his disciples. Then he'll continue to speak in parables. He'll 21 through 25, there's a parable of the lamp. All this is going to be in reference to the word of God, a parable of the growing seed, verses 26 through 29. A parable of the mustard seed, verses 30 through 32. And then towards verse 33, Mark says, And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Again, no takers. Some 51 times Jesus is going to begin to teach and he's going to use a story, use an illustration to help demonstrate or prove or drive a point home. Now, when Jesus does this, I I was thinking about our time in the Psalms and I remember talking about the parables in the Psalms. And I was like, why was I talking about parables in the Psalms? So I was going through my notes and going back, and I'm like, i got to do a word research on the word parable. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, there it is. It's in Psalm 78. And it's fascinating because in my notes, because I really did go deep into the Psalms, I had this whole introduction, and I said, this psalm, was fulfilled, verses 1 through 4, was fulfilled by Jesus when he began to speak in parables. And when I read that, kind of from the gospel vantage point, which we're looking at it now, I'm like, well, wow, why was there a prophecy that would, would be fulfilled by Jesus? Why would there be something in the Old Testament about the Messiah beginning to speak in parables? And as I began to look at it from the vantage point of the New Testament, I began to go, well, wait a minute. As I read this, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to my words, to the words of my mouth. And I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and know. And our fathers have told us we will not hide them from our children, telling them to generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. And when I read that, I began to just think, that's, that's, that's tying in in a very, in a, in a u- unique way that I've never really seen. And let me explain. The prophecy here in Psalm 78 is talking about a time Yet to come. A time in the future where God's people will need to be reminded of what God has done for them, or you might say they might need to be realigned in understanding God's plan for them. They will need, in verse 1, to listen closely to what God has to say. A time yet to come in the future a time that is going to be fulfilled by the Messiah. I will open my mouth in a parable, a story with a moral or spiritual application. I will utter dark sayings in reference to like, there'll be some puzzling information. And what will be puzzling will be that the nation will be in rebellion. They're not going to be understanding God's plan. They're going to be in a season of rebellion where they're just not, not advancing God's plan and understanding God's plan. Verse three, there are things we have known, things that our fathers have passed on to us. These are the things that we must pass on to our children. What things? The Lord's deeds, the Lord's power, the Lord's work, the Lord's plan. They would need to pass this plan of God, God on to each generation because God's plan of redemption is yet to be fulfilled. It's going to be fulfilled in seven centuries. you got to just be passing this on. God's redemptive plan was yet to be complete. The Redeemer Jesus was yet to be on the earth. He would not come and become the Redeemer for seven more centuries But the king who would come preaching about his kingdom would eventually come. The Messiah would come. And when he does, when Jesus begins to minister, the nation of Israel will not recognize him. The nation of Israel will not recognize God's plan unfolding right in front of them. What the psalmist said would happen... Or should happen, excuse me. You need to tell each generation the wonderful plan of God and pass it on. Somewhere along the line, they failed. And by the time that Jesus begins to minister, begins to, to walk through the northern part of the Galilee, and he's preaching, and he's, he's doing miracles, and he's beginning his, his ministry... The, 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 the people were in a state of spiritual stupor. They, they were not re- recognizing him as a king. If you were to talk to them about a king and a kingdom, they would have talked to you about their desire to have a physical kingdom. And a physical, like, we want a king to help us overthrow Rome. That's what they would have said when Jesus walked on the earth. But in Mark 4, you might say that the stage is set now for Psalm 78 to be fulfilled. They've come to a generation where somewhere along the line they stopped advancing the plan of God. They were living really just denying it, not seeing it, looking at it in the form of their Messiah and rejecting it. And it's interesting because you go back through chapter 3 of Mark's gospel alone, you can go back to 2, but just chapter 3 alone, and he's up in Capernaum and, and, he, and he's beginning to minister and he, he heals the man with a withered hand. That's, that's, that's the Redeemer. It's the King. It's the Messiah. And he's doing things that only God can do. Well, how do the... How do the people recognize that? They recognize that as something that is wrong. You see, he he broke the Sabbath law and the religious leaders just got all sideways about him violating their traditions. And at that time, they began to plot how they might kill him. Now just follow me here. Then he, he begins to... to to work the shorelines of the Galilee and masses of people began to come out as far as from Jerusalem and Judea and and Tyre and Sidon, even the coastal cities and and the the, the sick and the demonized and it says that many needy people pressed in on Jesus. They were were wanting to to, to have him heal them and it says in verse 10 of chapter 3, and he healed many. After that busy day, he goes up to a mountain to pray. He stays up there all night because the next, night, next day he's going to commission the disciples. When he comes down, he begins to minister once again. And now we have a picture of the state, the spiritual state of the nation of Israel again. And now the religious leaders show up and they start you know, saying that Jesus' ministry, the plan of God, is a work of Satan. That's what they were saying. And Jesus just pointed out to them that their argument, what they're saying is completely illogical. He's like, you know, we all know I've been casting out demons. (laughs) Well, how can Satan cast out Satan? That just doesn't make sense. Why would he fight against himself and divide his own kingdom? And if that's not enough, the chapter closes with his own brothers and mother showing up and questioning what he was doing. That's the stage. That's what's going on when we, when we move into chapter 4. The, the close of chapter 3 is like, well, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in the circle of those who set about and he's like, these followers. Here's my mother, here's my brother. For whoever does the will of God is my brother or my sister or my mother. And so as you, you, you move into chapter 4, and Jesus begins to teach now, in parables, he's beginning to fulfill that psalm, and it's the, the, exactly what the psalmist said needed to happen. The Messiah will begin to speak in parables in ways very patient, creative, thoughtful ways to reach into the heart of that culture. It's the grace of God. As we study the parables, we will see that they give us a glimpse over and over and over into the kingdom of God. What is the the plan of God? To get you into the kingdom, to get his kingdom in you. Amen? Amen. So I went... When John the Baptist came as the forerunner of Christ, that's what he was preaching. When Jesus came, that's what he was preaching. When Jesus came back from, when he resurrected for 40 days, he was preaching the kingdom. That's the plan of God is to take the unredeemed and redeem them and to make them part of this spiritual kingdom that is forever and ever and ever. That's the plan of God. And they were so far removed from that. Their traditions had kept them from that. That when the king himself was walking through, inviting them into the kingdom by receiving him, they completely rejected him. And rather than just turn his back on them, we see the patience and just. The the creativity and the grace of our God speaking in ways, speaking with terms and stories and illustrations that will draw them in and give them an opportunity to, to grasp something that they had missed. And I want to pause here and just say this that's what he's going to drive home in this first parable. And before I even, if we, if we get to that parable tonight, that's the point of tonight. The point of tonight is every single one of us right now, this is the lesson we're going to learn. There's the sovereignty of God that's at work in this room right now. If we're alive right now and we're breathing right now and we're saved right now, you can, you can tie that all to the sovereignty of God. As the plan of God is unfolding still in our day. We see the sovereignty of God. It's the sovereignty of God that the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, would reach out to your heart and penetrate your heart. It's the sovereignty of God. You understand that? Okay. How many of you know that you can also sit here, even as a believer, and just ignore it? You can You can can put your mind on something else right now. You can reject it right now. You could daydream right now. Everything that I've already said, maybe you've missed 10% of it. I don't know. Maybe you've missed none of it. But there there is two things that come together when Jesus delivers the parables. There's the sovereignty of God, fulfilling the plan of God. And listen, there's human responsibility. And that's what we're going to learn tonight. God's part, he is doing. Our part, we must do. And that's open up our hearts. And let me tell you the challenge I had growing up in the church. There's benefits to growing up in the church. And then there's some, there's some things you've got to work through because you grew up in the church. I can't tell you how many times I folded my arms just like they are right now, sitting in a Bible study and going, I've heard that. Yeah, I know where this is going. And I could maybe, if it was a really familiar passage, that's what I thought they were going to say. And I would reduce the whole experience, the whole, that whole time of teaching. I would reduce it to something that would limit God in my heart. I would just do that. And as I got a little bit older, I realized I was doing that. In my 20s, I realized I was doing that. And I got to a point where I realized I I don't give enough time to God, so the time that I give to God, I'm going to be in. I'm going to be awake. (laughs) I'm going to be alert. And what, what Jesus is going to be teaching us here, what he's teaching his disciples here is this. If you really, if you really If you really want to understand is one thing and experience is another thing. If you want to understand and experience everything I have for you, you need to have an open heart. Now, did they always have an open heart? Did Peter always have an open heart? No. How many times did they have to learn a lesson? And so... Again, we're talking about, ultimately we're talking about the, we're talk, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, kingdom principles, following the king. He's going to say things with the purpose of you understanding who the king is, with the purpose of us understanding the kingdom for the sake of experiencing the king. Do we, are we tracking? Yes. Okay. So by design, each of the parables are to be experienced. Not just read and go, oh, I, I, that's, that's like, wow, I'm moved by that story. No, there's something tied to experiencing Jesus with each parable. This is why he gave illustrations that his audience could relate to. No one that heard Jesus give a parable would say, I don't get the point of his reference. Jesus will say the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Everybody in that culture knew about wheat, knew about the breaking and crushing of the wheat, knew about the bread making, knew about the properties of yeast and how it worked into and fermented the dough. Everybody in that culture knew that, everyone. He'll tell a story of a man who had two sons. It's the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15. As we read that story, there are a couple parts of that story where we're like, we don't understand that. But in that culture everybody would have understood every detail of the story that Jesus gave regarding the prodigal son. And he's telling that story to warn them, to caution them. He's telling that story to explain and express the heart of the father, the plan of the father, and how he loves those that have turned from him and walked away from him. There's an experience tied to that parable. Same with the, the good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. They would all relate to this parable, the sower and the seed. Look with me in verse 3. Behold, a sower went out to sow. They see that everywhere they go. It happened as he sowed that some of the seed fell on the wayside and the birds of the air came and they devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. Immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun came up, or when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew and choked it out. And it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30-fold, some 60, and some, some 100 Anybody in that culture would have heard Jesus say that and they would have understood the story. They would have understood the illustration. But not everyone would understand his point in the illustration or the story. Only those who have open, receptive hearts will understand. Only those who have willing hearts to do what he's saying in these parables. We'll actually experience what Jesus teaches in the parables. This is the point that he's making in verses 10 through 13. We'll we'll move down there and check that out. When he was alone again with his disciples, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And, and he said to them again, do, not, do you not understand this parable? Again, we repeat it. How then will you understand all the parables? Now again, every part of this parable is as far as the illustration they could relate to, they could understand. So after delivering this parable, he says something very unique. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And, and, he, and he's, 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 he's saying something that means more than just listening to his words. It means listening with spiritual understanding, with spiritual receptivity. He knows this is not the case with everyone there. He knows that he is the fulfillment of Psalm 78 in the sense that there will be a time when the nation, the people of God, will be at a place where they're rejecting their God, where they're rejecting the plan of God. And here he is, the ultimate fulfillment of the plan of God, and they're rejecting him. He knows that there is a large part of those people that are just that. He knew there was a whole range of hearing and understanding the audiences that came to hear him preach or teach. He knew that some were opening their hearts to him. They were opening their hearts to the truth that he was saying. They were coming to faith they were following him. Others heard that same truth, the exact same truth. They even understood this story if they didn't open up their hearts. They hardened their hearts, and they would end up rejecting the truth, the words, the message, the point that Jesus is trying to make. But now alone with the disciples, the disciples ask about the parable. And he responds first by bringing their attention to the bigger picture, which again is his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And he says in verse 11, to you guys, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. A mystery, when you see it, is a a truth that was previously hidden, but is now revealed. It's unveiled, the mystery of the kingdom of God, which is common to all the kingdom parables. God's rule. It's here. It's common, the person of his son. This is what Jesus was claiming when earlier in Mark's gospel, in chapter one, he would say, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, you need to repent and believe in the gospel. That the kingdom of God was at hand because the king was at hand. He was staring you in the face. And he was offering that spiritual kingdom, the heavenly kingdom that creates a spiritual domain inside of the hearts of men. You say, where is the kingdom of God? Well, where does the king rule? Where does he reign? My heart, because I'm redeemed and I'm his. Your heart, because you're redeemed. And we're, we're, we're kingdom kids, Amen. Luke 17, verse 20, after healing the 10 lepers, the Pharisees, they would approach Jesus and ask when the kingdom of God would come. And he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is, is within you. So if he rules and reigns in your heart today, you're part of that kingdom, that kingdom is in you. You are a kingdom kid. Wear that crown with pride. The disciples, Jesus notes. They've been opening their hearts. Peter, John, follow me. They they opened their hearts. It was a journey of open your heart. Each day, open your heart. If you closed your heart off to him, you would have never followed him in the first place. But they've been opening their hearts what Jesus had been teaching. They had been believing him. They were open followers of, 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 of Jesus. Thus, the plan of God. God was able to reveal and open more truth, truth relating to the plan of God, to the kingdom of God. On the other hand, there were those in that same audience that did not believe Jesus refers to them in verse 11 as those on the outside, those blinded by unbelief. To them, all things come in parables. Now, when Jesus would speak in parables, this is important to understand as we're going to be learning a lot about his parables. Two things would happen. Number one, it would reveal truth. Number two, it would conceal truth at the same time. It reveals more truth to those who have open hearts. They can learn and they can know more from the, from, the, from the story, from the parable, from the lesson, from the point that Jesus is trying to make. As we will see later in the chapter, Jesus is revealing more about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The disciples are going to be getting it. They're going to be understanding because their hearts are open to that. At the same time, In the same audience, with the same words going out, the parable conceals. To those outside the truth, those who have hardened hearts to hear Jesus, to trust Jesus, to believe in what he's saying, the the parable, it, it won't reveal anything. It's just a story. It's something that happens every day. The truth that Jesus is revealing remains hidden to them. It seems strange to them. It doesn't seem helpful at all. It doesn't seem relative at all. They just, they don't get it. Jesus could have spoke so powerfully and so convincingly that people would have been forced to concede to his logic and follow him, but he he didn't speak that way. His style of teaching left room for faith to respond. He chose to speak in a way that he wouldn't manipulate people or force them into a decision. He spoke in parables in order that only those who wanted to hear would hear. Only those who wanted to receive would receive. Only those who wanted to see would see. And he presents truth to us today It's available to all of us. Leaves the decision with us. Verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him, those that want to lean in with spiritual understanding, glean with spiritual understanding. Let those with open hearts approach me with open hearts and receive. In Matthew's account, Matthew gives... A few more of Jesus' words in this dialogue with the disciples in chapter 13. He says, whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. The idea is that no person remains stationary in his relationship with God either progressing or regressing spiritually. Those who receive God's truth and act upon it, they receive more. Those who reject his truth will ultimately lose what they have. And the, the, that principle is seen in all kinds of different areas of life. You, I'm not going to say you, but those people that go to the gym a lot, they'll, they'll, they'll tell you, you know, you, you could really, you know, alter your body and make yourself look pretty buff but if you don't use it you'll yeah, yeah that's that's true people say the same thing with different languages I've talked to a number of people who said I grew up in this country I'm like do you speak that language anywhere I, I did when I was you know up till I was 15 and I stopped using it and 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 I, and I lost it So the principles are seen in other areas of our life. What a challenge for us today as we sit through teaching after teaching each week. Hearing it over and over. We've got to be receiving it and and experiencing, acting out, acting upon those things that the word of God is calling us to act upon. That's sobering. In verse 12, Jesus quotes, this is interesting too, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, a passage that pictures the hardened hearts that reject him. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. You go through the book of Isaiah, and by the time you get to chapter 6, you realize that the nation of Israel was on the verge of being taken the Babylonian captivity. Why? Because of their immorality, their debauchery and their hypocrisy and their idolatry. Isaiah had preached to them. He had been warning them over and over and over to turn, but they had hardened their hearts to all of God's warnings. They refused to turn. They, re, they refused to repent. They refused to cry out to God for his mercy. So the people kept hearing Isaiah kept preaching. He kept warning. But they did not understand. They kept on seeing. But they did not perceive. Because they had intentionally closed their eyes and their ears to God and refused to humble themselves and accept what God was saying. And so because... God chose, they chose to ignore God, ignore his word that was given to his prophet. God would judge them. That's what the book of Isaiah is about. So this shows us something. This shows us by Jesus quoting this, that, that, that his parables, they, they expose the nature of people's hearts. Because he's comparing the, the people of Isaiah's day where they had hardened hearts towards God and were in rebellion towards God and God judged them to the people that he's addressing right now that are doing the same thing. Well, in that same group that the the group is made up, those that are rejecting the word of God as it's going out, there are those that are hearing it and seeing it and their hearts are open to it. Interesting. The disciples are called blessed because they're not rejecting God's plan. They're open. They're receptive. But they also, again, came back to him, seeking him. Hey, explain this to us. In this way, I think the parables reveal to us a balance between a dependence on God's divine revelation and human effort. We must ultimately rely on God to reveal his truth to us. But it's also our responsibility to cultivate a heart that is open to his truths. Even when those truths are painful. Even when it's like, I don't want to hear that right now. (laughs) If we close our heart to that, that just is, I don't want to hear that, it's convicting right now. What are we learning? Matthew, he adds again, that blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Now, Jesus will explain the parable. I got a zero pointing at me after that brief introduction. But I, I, I just felt it was really important to drive these points home. So when we open up these parables, we're like, whoa. This is I just, I, how many times have we heard the parable of the sower and the seed? Hopefully we never approach it with a casual kind of flippant, I know that, I know, oh, I know the next point, ever again. This the Holy Spirit would be looking at us right now saying, Lance Cook, I want to advance the plan of God through a familiar story a little bit more in your life right now. Are you open to that? <laughs> And the little boy would be going, yes. The proud dork in me going, I, I, I know that. And that's always a battle between, I'm not calling you a dork, I'm calling myself a dork. But that's, that's always a battle, isn't it, between our flesh and the spirit, right? And isn't it just the most amazing, humbling picture of God's grace? Because that describes every one of us. And yet he just, through his Holy Spirit, pins down these very timeless, effective words that will pierce our hearts in advancing the plan of God every single time we read them. And we should read it with that kind of conviction. We should approach it as we will have discussions. We should be like, whoa, man, we better get this right. Fact is, you'll probably sit across the table from someone that gets it and probably across the table from someone that didn't. What will be the difference? Someone sat in a study with an open heart and someone sat in a study that didn't. That's it. And to the one who did, the Lord's like opening up more revelation about the kingdom, his plan, the king, his son. And however he designed that to impact you, however he designed within that an experience for you. And if you open your heart, you step into that in obedience and you walk in that experience and you mature in your walk with the Lord. Amen. And if you don't, you don't. And he's just the gracious God, if he's gracious enough To come back to the same people 700 years later who didn't pass it on to his children and then their children and their children. But he still sent his son to them and graciously through parables, illustrations, lovingly, creatively, patiently, still trying to reach them. If God would do that over 700 years, we're okay. Amen? Amen. He's a patient, gracious God that knows how to communicate in a way to grab a hold of our heart. Understand that from the parables. Our God knows how to speak in such a way where we will become enamored with the kingdom and fall in love with the king and be kingdom kids and we will advance in our understanding. And and, and some of this is going to come with directives for our lives because we're kingdom kids. You, You know, when he brings up the whole thing about the good Samaritan, you know, is that about the kingdom per se? Well, in, in a sense, yes. Because kingdom kids are compassionate. Kingdom kids are caring. Kingdom kids don't wear fluffy robes and walk around those in needs. Right? Amen. The kingdom advances through mercy, through compassion. You understand? That's, that's how the parables work. As he goes into this Parable of the sower and the seed. Now I'm past my zero. Oh well. Let's all stand. I, I t- tend to close when you stand. I, I'm, I'm getting excited now, but this is what he's saying. He's saying, every single time my word goes out, there's different conditions to the hearts of the people that are receiving it. That's that's what he's telling his disciples. Why? Because they are about to go out as kingdom kids and represent the king. And he just just wants them to know what the receptivity is going to be like out there. And personally, I'm sure they would be locked in on their own personal conviction like, wow, man. Some of the seed landed on the wayside. That represents the hard heart that the seed didn't penetrate. And this, whoo, I don't want to be that guy. But at the same time, they would connect the dots and say, hey, Peter, you know, when we start doing our own preaching, some of the word of God's going to land on some people, and that's going to be the response. Oh, man, really? Yeah. Look around. And then, you know, some of the seeds gonna land in, in, in stony ground. Like there'll be some that are gonna hear the word of God. And instantly you're gonna see the sprouting and 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 just, wow, look at that, look at that. Like today you see someone that just they're instantly on fire, man. They got saved and I always like to say they're the ones that go to the bookstore and buy the bumper, we don't have a bookstore anymore, but they buy the bumper stickers and all the Christian stuff, Christian shirts, and, and they're just like, wow. Until the first difficult anything comes along. But there's no roots. By the way, what, what creates roots? The difficult things. <laughs> but for them, they take their eyes off of the king. They're not, there's no depth. And, and, and they get blown away. And then there's others. The word of God it penetrates, it really does. And then there's these, these thorns that represent the cares of the world, the riches of the world, just all of what the world can do and just grabbing at our hearts. Every single one of us here fight with this, every one of us. And it just, it just kind of will just uproot. And, and, and that's the point Jesus says there's human responsibility here because some is going to land on the good ground Amen. and it's going to produce some 6,900. It's going to just produce massive fruit. And if you don't get that parable, you won't stand, understand any of them. You won't get it. Isn't that cool? So it all comes down to this, guys. God's kingdom is going to advance. It is. As it, as it goes out and is received into receptive hearts, that's where the kingdom of God is going to advance. If, if, if anybody, if we gave a prayer right now and people in line, anybody here accepted the Lord, it would be just that. The word of God went out into a receptive heart, and and what God intended with that word of understanding the gospel, here's the gospel, and someone's like, yes, I'm a sinner, I understand that Jesus is God, he died on the cross for me, buried, and rose from the dead, and I, I believe that, and I want to accept him in my life. That is God advancing his kingdom, one more person in that kingdom. That's part of God's plan. And so as we go through these parables, there's 51 of them. I don't know how many we're going to get through, okay? Don't be like, we only got through eight, Lance. I, I don't know how many we're going to get through. But I'm, and I'm not even sure which ones, okay? I haven't even gotten that far. They're like, every one I read, them, I go, we've got to go do that one for sure. I read another one. Oh, this one's better. we got to do this one. So pray for me. <laughs> this is going to be... If you have your favorite, keep it to yourself. <laughs> we do love you, Lord. And we thank you for a time to understand your parables. We lift up, would you agree with me right now? We lift up our Wednesday nights. Our church, Lord, our church body. And we know that so many, men have, you know, just created new lifestyle and decisions and new life without a pit stop in the middle of the week in a church like this. Lord, again, you weren't impressed on the the big crowd thing, and we're not suggesting that either here. Our heart is, is to see people get grounded, they get connected, first and foremost with you. And we know that becoming more connected, getting connected with a body, helps that out a whole lot. And so, Lord, give us wisdom as a leadership here. Give us humility. More dependence on you. Lord, give us favor as we're trying to navigate through these waters and and build up ministry. Lord, these massive amount of new people that are coming around here, you're drawing them. And... We know that you desire to connect them and and you've put that in our hearts. So, Lord, just show us how to do that. And as we will, you know, gather around tables again, we haven't done that really as a church. Um, We didn't do it for almost a year. and, And as we began last week and will continue, would you bless that, Lord? May every conversation just be amazing and bring glory to you. And so, for any here that that don't know you, Jesus, or online, you, you you heard that prayer, in coming to God on His terms and asking Him to save you and confessing that Jesus died on the cross for you and rose from the dead for you. And, and if that's you, say that to God right now and invite Jesus into your life and ask Him to forgive you and to come into your life and just embrace him as he saves you right now. Lord, this world is it's really getting bad. Protect us, Lord, we pray. Give us favor in in, in the workplace, in our neighborhoods. Um, Continue to provide for the body here and and, and hold us, Lord, we pray. We pray for Israel tonight. Lord, for Ruth and Yuval and our friends that are over there. For protection, Lord. There's the, there's the Iron Dome, then there's your dome. <laughs> Lord, just protect them. And bring an end to this terrorist nonsense over there. And, and uh, we pray that you know, the eyes of our friends there would be opened. And they would run to you as their Messiah. And um, we just love you. There's so much to, to pray about. Our friends that are down right now. Kevin, I think about as well. Bless him and heal him. Get him on his feet. And Lord, um, little baby Mila, and and just so many others. All the reports coming in. Um, just to heal and bring comfort and to the Castro family. Lord, as you've taken our brother Hugh home, and at such a young age. Be with Wendy and the boys. Bless them. And um, Lord, so many other things. We just continue to pray for the body here. We love you. Um, Can't wait to see you one day. We pray all this in Jesus' name.